0: Let's just pray as we head into this passage this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life for us. We thank you, Jesus, that through it, you transform our hearts. You call us into deeper relationship. You show us the areas in our hearts that we need to continue to turn over to you. And Lord, today, I pray that as we would look at this passage You would help us to align our hearts with your gospel. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Palm Sunday is all about our longings. The people who celebrate Jesus coming into town, they have deep hopes. Many of them are hoping for someone to come and and route out. Rome. You remember, Israel is under foreign occupation at the time, and so Rome is very present there. They want someone to come in, like a promised Messiah from their their old prophets, their old writings. Someone who will come and set things right. Others are longing to see another vision fulfilled. They're longing for the return of Yahweh to His temple. These are probably the ones who have responded to John the Baptist's baptism, the call to repentance, and so they've repented, and now they're waiting for what God's going to do and are aware that things are not well in Israel. But regardless of their expectations, they're nearly all excited to see Jesus and to see what he will do for them, all except perhaps the, uh, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders they see Jesus' teaching uh, and his popularity as an attack on their control, an attack on their status quo, an attack on their, their power in the current uh, culture of the day. And that raises a question for us, I think, this morning. When we're reading the story of this passage, we might ask, well, will God's purposes, what God wants to do, actually resonate with the expectations of the people everyone's got an idea of what they think they want god to do but are they actually ready for what god wants to do are the people's expectations we could say are they in line with god's vision god has a particular purpose and a plan but will the people receive it here they're calling, if you look with me at verse 13. They took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They have a sense that this person is like the promised Messiah king, this kingly figure who would come and set things right. But they don't know exactly what that, what that means. We find that out pretty quickly when Jesus is abandoned during his arrest no one's there with him and so all these people are excited for the king to come but don't realize the sort of king he's going to be in fact the disciples themselves don't quite get it if you read verse 14 jesus finds a young donkey and sits on it just as it's written and then he he quotes from zechariah 9 9 And then John makes a point of saying, verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first until Jesus was glorified. Then they remembered these things that were written about him and about what he'd done. In the moment, not even the disciples who've been with Jesus for three years and understand you would think some measure of what the kingdom of God is about and some measure of what God's purposes are and some measure of what God's vision is to be, They don't even quite get what's going on as Jesus heads into Jerusalem. It's not until after the fact they go, oh, it all makes sense now. Jesus is enacting something very specific about the kind of king he is. The people are saying, hail, the king of Israel. And instead of coming in on sort of a military war horse, coming to rout out Rome, Jesus And and John puts the emphasis on Jesus doing this, verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And it's specifically calling up this reference to Zechariah. The disciples don't understand it. But the point is, what Jesus wants to accomplish, his vision, God's vision for Israel is very different than what the people are expecting. In the same way the people are longing for God's presence, Yahweh's presence to return to the temple, but when Jesus does come to the temple, we're not covering that this morning, but when he does come to the temple, I remember we were doing different different series when we talk about this moment, he puts a stop not just to the commerce, not just to the, the practice of people buying their sacrifices so they can worship. He actually puts a stop to the worship practice. And so when God shows up, it actually really changes the whole function and purpose of the temple in a way they're not expecting And sometimes that's true for us as well. When God shows up, it often is not what we had expected. And we all hold various ideas of what we think God should do and what we kind of long for God to do in our lives. We all have expectations of God. And this passage really serves to remind us Uh, Are my expectations, my ideas about God and who he is and what he's done, are they in keeping with who he is? Are my expectations about what I expect God to do in my life actually aligned with the gospel, with his purposes, with his character? And what happens when God's plans don't meet our expectations? What happens when In our own lives, we might say, I want you to come and do this, God. I want you to come and get rid of Rome, you know? And these people longed for that, and yet they find him nailed to a cross a week later. What happens when we've come to believe that God promises us exceeding wealth or exceeding happiness and exceeding health 100% of the time, only to hear him call us to take up our cross and follow him? What happens when our expectations get shattered? Well, it means we need to realign our hearts with the gospel. We need to align our expectations and our lives with God's vision for us, not just our own ideas for us. And that's as true today as it was for Israel in Jesus' day. And so, for example, God's heart is to eventually rescue them out from under Rome, that will come, but God's plan is often much broader in scope than we expect. And so while the people are thinking of this geopolitical issue, right, of who's leading the country, God wants to free them from a very different and much deeper sort of occupation. More than just getting Rome out of their country, he's going to deal with with the foreign occupation of sin in their hearts. And you could see how that might shift the people's own ideas of what kind of king they want. Their hearts are sick with sin, and just as God is interested in liberating them out from under Rome, that's going to happen in time. But God's greater purpose, his greater plan, is to liberate their whole selves out from under the occupation of sin and death and evil and until that's dealt with Israel and indeed the world are going to be bound to a, a much deeper worse kind of, of occupation which is the occupation to our enslavement to sin and so while the people maybe have a, a glimpse of what God wants to do in terms of freeing people out from under something they don't see the broad scale of what God really wants to do and that's the same in their hope for, for God's return to the temple. They want him to come and set things right. And yet when Jesus comes, he essentially says, this project's ended. I'm the temple. Cast this down in three days, we'll rise it up again. And people say, what do you mean? It took us years to build this thing. And it's only afterwards they realize, oh, he's talking about his own body. Again, they have a sense that, of, of what God wants to do, but not quite the fullness of it. And perhaps this is most graphically revealed in what happens at Easter, at his death and resurrection. They're hoping for a king, but how that all happens gets turned on its head, right? Instead of a golden crown, he gets a crown of thorns. Instead of royal garments, he gets a flogged back and a purple cloth wrapped around him in mockery of his kingship. And then instead of being led in coronation and enthroned upon a Upon a sort of a golden throne, he's enthroned on an instrument of torture. And instead of all hail the king in glorious celebration, they put the sign above his head and mock him as the king. And so they're right in a sense to expect the king, but the way God sees that through, what God really wants to do is far greater and more beautiful and more important than their small imaginations And in some ways, they're right. It's a prophetic thing to say, we're waiting for the king. They end up mocking him for it. But this happens throughout John's gospel. People say things not knowing how how right they are. And I love this moment. Just a little later in our passage, in verse 19, the Pharisees say to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And the next moment, guess who shows up? The Greeks show up. The Greeks are part of that whole world. They're from outside Israel. And so John is saying, yes, exactly. The Pharisees are speaking more true than they realize. The whole world has gone after him. And as soon as Jesus sees the Greeks coming to meet with him, he connects it to his coming death on the cross. Look at verse 23. The Greeks have arrived, and Jesus answers them, the hour has come. The moment the world is ready for the message of Jesus and the salvation of God, Jesus gets it and automatically goes, this is now expanding from just Israel. This means the hours come for my death, and now this is going to blow up. And God's vision to redeem and restore all of creation is going to go out. We're ready for it to, to come. And he immediately connects it to his death. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so Jesus ties together the arrival of the Greeks with the power of the cross. That now the world's gone after him. And the Pharisees are more true than they know. All that to say that in his arrival, coming on the donkey instead of the war horse and coming to the temple and, and really shifting the whole thing around, and then even in his coming death, God's purposes are contrasting the people's expectations time and time again. And so I just want to ask this morning, where in our own lives do we have expectations of God that are actually not in keeping with what he would want to do for us and in us? Where do we have ideas about what God wants to do or who he is that are actually not aligned with the gospel? How do we ensure that that we're living in alignment with God's vision. And part of that means living into the story and remembering, again, that God's vision for us is to draw us back into relationship with himself. This is why he's created us. And the whole purpose of Jesus coming, of course, you know this if you've been in church for any amount of time, but it can lose its weight, it can lose its, uh, its power over time, perhaps, and in how familiar we become with this, but our sinfulness, our rebellion disrupts that relationship. And Jesus comes to set that aright, to give his own life as the just punishment for our sin, to take it upon himself so that we don't have to and we can be restored into relationship with God again. That's the story we live in. And part of that means we can now realign our vision of what life is about according to Jesus. We need to resist the desire to make Jesus in our own image. And that means remembering what he's come to do, that our sin past and present and future is nailed on the cross with him. And now his righteousness is imputed. It's 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 prescribed to me, it's it's put on to me so that when God looks at me, he sees the the final work, the, the finished work, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross covers me and my sin. And it's as we accept Jesus' work on the cross for ourselves that God begins that salvation work in us to give us new hearts and a new spirit. That's that gospel realignment. Sometimes I think we need to just be reminded again of the seriousness of our sin. We've been, uh, I've been reading uh, Chronicles of Narnia with Rowan. He's still pretty little. He's six. So we've been reading through Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so I have to adapt some spots, some parts on the spot for him. But um, overall, he's, he's very, very enthralled. And a few nights ago, we, we got to the scene where Aslan exchanges his life for edmund edmund's betrayed his siblings he's gone over to the side of the witch he's he's uh, been seduced by evil realizes he's done wrong but realizes also there's a punishment for what he's done and the witch says i i basically she has claim over his life because of his sin and aslan decides to go in his place to lay down his life in edmund's stead so edmund can be saved and as we were reading that, um, it just so naturally, I was trying to explain to Rowan, you know, this is so much like Jesus. That Jesus goes in our place for our sin. This is how much he loves us. This is why he died on the cross for us. And of course, it's a, it's a frightening moment. And uh, Rowan said, let's skip some of this part. Because it goes into detail about them mocking. And they, of course, they shave Aslan's mane. And, and they muzzle him and they eventually kill him. But then we got to get to, the, you know, we got to this great moment, which is his resurrection, and the stone table that he sacrificed on is split in two, which of course carries all the, the temple veil torn in two imagery. And Aslan explains as he comes back to life to Lucy and Susan, he says, when a willing victim who's committed no treachery is killed in the traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. And here on Palm Sunday, we celebrate a God who goes in our stead, ultimately to the cross for you and for me, and lays down his life for us as a willing victim. This is the sort of king we serve. Not the man on the war horse, but the king who allows himself to be killed for us. And that sets my expectations of, of who God is, and what he calls me to do in my life, it, it shifts things for me. It tells me that my vision of the Christian life needs to be lifted up. It needs to be lifted out of the lies that, that the gospel is just there to empower me to live the kind of life I think I want to live. It lifts me out of this lie that God is just sort of this magical dispenser. That I go to God with my various wishes and desires as I please. That's not the God I serve. It lifts me out of the lie that my sin and my treachery doesn't really matter. Or that if I simply try enough, God will overlook my brokenness and evil. Instead, I need to be realigned to the power of this gospel message. I love what N.T. Wright says about the cross of Christ. He says, the cross is the surest, truest, and deepest window on the very heart and character of the living and loving God when we read the story of Jesus and see it as the story of the love of God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, that insight produces again and again a sense of astonished gratitude which is very near the heart of authentic Christian experience. Does your heart ring with astonished gratitude for what Jesus has done for you? I pray this Easter that it does. Augustus Tepladi, he reminds us of this. He says, when Christ entered into Jerusalem, the people spread garments in the way. And when he enters into our hearts, we need to pull off our own righteousness and not only lay it under Christ's feet, but even trample upon it ourselves. We need to lay down our false ambitions, our own sin, our false attempts to live like we're the God of our own lives. Our false desires, we need to lay those down on the road and welcome Jesus and all that he's done into our hearts, into our lives. Richard Rohr says that new beginnings, perhaps especially the new beginning and the new life we find in Christ, only happens when old false things are allowed to die. And so this Palm Sunday, we think about our own expectations and the need for us to surrender those under the feet of Jesus as we welcome him into our hearts, as we welcome the king who gave his life for us. And as we do that, as we surrender our, our ambitions and surrender our agendas and ask Jesus to realign us with his gospel, we're, we're doing what Paul calls us to, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to allow him to come and set our thoughts aright. And so as we close this time in prayer, let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us where where in our lives do we need to be realigned with the gospel? Where are our expectations of God out of sync with what God actually wants to do in us? Where have we lost that sense of the gravity of our sin and therefore we lose the sense of the the wondrous love and joy of God who goes to the cross for us. The moment we stop thinking our sin matters, the moment we belittle what the cross means. And where in our own lives, perhaps, have we got a a short, small view of God and we miss out on the beauty and the wonder of what he has in store for us. So let's pray to that end this morning. I invite you to stand with me. Lord, this morning... As we think about you coming into Jerusalem, so often we invite you to come. And yet, Lord, we don't always realize what that entails. That to really surrender our lives to you will mean the renovation of our hearts. And it's a good thing, but God, it it may call us to put aside things we hold dear. Sin we hold dear ways of being in the world that don't honor you. And so, Lord, this morning we come with repentance. Say, Jesus, would you forgive us of the times in our lives, the places in our lives where we put you second place, where we put other, some other ambition or desire higher than you. We made an idol out of that. Lord, we pray this morning that you would come afresh into our hearts and we lay down, Lord, at your feet, like the palm branches, like the jackets on the road. Lord, we lay down our ambitions and our desires. Lord, we pray that you would come and set our hearts afire for you. Lord, we pray that you would you would align our lives with the hope of the gospel that you've come to save sinners. And Lord, you've accomplished that through the cross. It's not a matter of us working enough to get into heaven, but accepting the finished work of what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that as we realize the gravity of our sinfulness, it wouldn't cause us to despair, but Lord, it would just cause us to run uh, headlong into your arms, Lord. That this is how much you love us. And, Lord, I just pray that as we seek to live for you, just every day, Lord, as there's moments where we go, man, <laughs> that, that was not from you. <laughs> that way I responded to that was not good. These thoughts I'm having are not great. Lord, that in those everyday moments, we would just lay those down. Just lay those down. And just say, Jesus, would you align our hearts with the truth of your gospel? You love us. You've set us free. You have good things in store for us. And you call us in our everyday lives, Lord, to follow you. So, Jesus, I just pray over each one of us today that you would open our hearts just at a deeper level, Lord, to know your goodness and your grace. And uh, to lay down, Lord, the areas where we have made an idol out of something else. We've made our own agendas uh, of greater importance than, than you and what you would have us do with our lives. I just pray, especially Lord, over those of us here today that maybe have big decisions to make, or we're just navigating something that's that's difficult. Maybe it's a medical thing, something at work, something at school, something in a marriage, something in a relationship. Jesus, we need you to lead and to guide our thoughts and our actions. We just need you and your wisdom uh, to lead us. Jesus, I pray that we would we would call upon you recognize that you are present with us in in everyday moments of life and we need you and the power of your spirit to lead us and to guide us in a way that represents you well in the world. So Jesus, I pray that uh, here the disciples don't realize what all you're doing until after your resurrection. But Lord, here we are on the other side of the resurrection. We know what you've done. Lord, I pray that it would so move us that we would choose again to live for you. That we would surrender our hearts and our lives to you. That we would realize, Lord, this isn't about trying to to just live individually on our own, but we need each other. We need the community of Christ. We need your body, Lord, to encourage us and to strengthen each other as we continue to follow you. Lord, this morning we... We pray that as we head into the week to come, that you would go before us, guide us, Lord, give us moments to witness for what you've done in us to a world that needs you. Lord, help us to live out the hope and the love that you've shown us uh, as we encounter those around us. And with the words you taught us, Lord, we just pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. receive this benediction. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, may you lay down your lives and allow him to realign you with the hope and the power of the gospel that you would live for him and serve him as you're sent out into the world. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Bless you. We'll see you next week.